is merging across Canada, and this is a common time for people to think about ticks. But what if we should be mindful of them all year round? What do we know about their life cycle in July and August? Can ticks survive under a layer of snow? They may be dormant, but at what temperature can they become active? On this podcast, we're going to head north and talk to an entomologist who is going to tell us about the changes in tick populations in northern Ontario. Entomologist Dr. Ken Deacon has been teaching environmental biology for decades and has witnessed firsthand the increase in tick populations around northern Ontario. He's been working with the Thunder Bay Health Unit and promoting awareness about ticks and tick-borne illnesses. He joins us today from his home in beautiful Thunder Bay on the shores of Lake Superior. Hello, Dr. Deacon. It's so great to talk to you. I am actually one of your former students from Lakehead University. <laughs> Are you kidding? Oh, that is pretty amazing. Isn't you that guys a- get everywhere. I know. It is amazing. Um, our producer reached out to you and I said, you know, I know that name. And sure enough, I think you were probably one of the leaders in teaching environmental studies uh, in at Lakehead back in the 90s. <laughs> That's right. That would have been environmental biology then. Well, it definitely had an impact because it certainly put me on that path. (laughs) Well, here you are. And that's really wonderful. When did you start noticing an increase in tick populations around Thunder Bay? Well, it's interesting. uh, I'm an entomologist and I've always wanted to be a medical entomologist. And uh, West Nile virus came along in the early 2000s. Um, I picked up a contract at the Thunder Bay District Health Unit and part of, uh, so I was looking at mosquitoes uh, and West Nile, but part of uh, what was happening was people would bring in various pest organisms. And this was in 2003. And that's when I saw my first um, wood tick in Thunder Bay, wood tick, dog tick. Um, And I thought, well, that's very interesting. I've never seen a tick here before. And in 2005, I saw my first black-legged tick. So um, I've been following the progression of those black-legged ticks from 2005 until the present. So do you think climate change has contributed to the increase in tick population so far north? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I I have no doubt about it. Um, Several years ago, I started, um, every time I gave a talk, I'd make a comment that if you need anything, if you're at all skeptical about uh, climate change, then... Just think of ticks because they weren't here and now they are and they can survive the winters here. And uh, and so now we have a problem. And why are they being found further north now, do you think? Uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure uh, what's going to happen this winter as far as the tick population is concerned because we've just gone through a week of uh, minus 30 um, or greater temperatures at night. And the ticks really, really take a beating when the uh, when the temperature goes that low. Uh, although there is snow cover, it's not really deep. So the combination of a good snow cover and a mild winter means that the ticks experience a uh, pleasant environment down in the leaf litter under the snow. Um, pleasant enough that they can survive the winter. But we've had... Um, we've got stats now, as I said, for the last 15 years, and we've had 
uh, two occasions where the population peaked and then it crashed. And the crash usually occurred um, after a cold winter with uh, very little snow on the ground or um, uh, a cold snap before there was any snow on the ground. And so I think the winter mortality is the major factor that's uh, regulating the, uh, the population here. And we are really at the limit of their distributions. I think their natural distribution, although um, from year to year, it, it progresses further into the, uh, the district of Thunder Bay. Are migratory birds contributing to the increase in tick populations? Uh, I, I hate to use this phrase, but that is a great question because every time I hear it, I cringe, but that, that one is very um, clever because uh, Thunder Bay is one of the stopover areas for migratory birds and some of the other regions that um, were first, uh, where black-legged ticks were first noted were other migratory nodes. And so uh, without a question of a doubt, and it's often said that, you know, uh, you're, if you're not in an area of, of risk, then you shouldn't really be worried about ticks. But uh, with the fact that uh, it doesn't take a deer to transmit, to move uh, black-legged ticks or deer ticks, the birds are the ma major culprits. So I also use a little, uh, a little hook where I'll say, uh, did you know ticks can fly? And of course, ticks can't fly, but they certainly can hitch a ride on someone that can fly great distances. So you could basically get Lyme disease anywhere in Canada. And physicians have to be aware of the fact that if someone comes in with Lyme disease symptoms, they probably have Lyme disease. Are you involved in testing ticks for Lyme or other pathogens? No, we were, uh, we were lucky enough before the advent of uh, COVID to be able to send our ticks to the, uh, the National Microbiology Lab in Winnipeg. Um, but obviously there's a little bit of an overload in place now. And so all we can do is accept ticks from the general public. And, uh, and that's that. The only ticks that we are now allowed to submit are ticks that we acquire through active surveillance. And active surveillance says um, it differs from passive surveillance. Surveillance, the passive surveillance is when the general public brings in um, a tick and says, "I found this on me, or I found this on my dog," and then we'll identify it, and they can do what they want with that information. Um, active surveillance means that you take a uh, a flannel sheet uh, of a, a meter by a meter, drag it behind you uh, over suitable tick habitat. Uh, where you're most likely to find ticks. And then um, anything that comes off there is um, acquired. I mean, you can do the distance traveled or the time traveled and the sampling, and then you get a, an actual uh, data point that is repeatable. Whereas with passive surveillance, it's not that great. Um, for example, my prediction for 2020 was that we were going to have just an amazing bumper crop of ticks. And of course, of course, COVID happened. And I think the general public uh, decided that going to the health unit was not the place that they wanted <laughs> to, to go. And so <laughs> the number of ticks that uh, we acquired, now these are both the, the, the wood ticks and the black-legged ticks, were uh, easily half of what we had seen in 2019. I was disappointed, but I, I think I'm going to have to call it the COVID effect and leave it at that. <laughs> uh, 
when when a tick is born, it's disease free. So, can you explain the role of the white-footed deer mice that serve as the reservoir for the Borrelia bacteria that causes Lyme disease? Um, with the deer mice, uh, as you said, they are the reservoir. So, their uh, mice are really amazing at carrying all sorts of diseases. Um, they uh, they support the disease through the winter, again, they're in the snow um, where the ticks are. The, the first stage of the tick, the larval stage, is very tiny. Um, so it's not going to be climbing up blades of grass or up into the tops of trees or anything like that. It just stays down low. And if it encounters uh, the deer mouse and um, feeds on it, then it can pick up the disease from the deer mouse. Uh, they only feed once in each stage. And so therefore, uh, the tick now um, drops off the host, um, digests the meal, um, and then finally molts into the next stage, the nymphal stage. The nymphal stage, therefore, will have the uh, disease organism and can then transmit that to uh, whatever the host is that it bites next. And the same thing uh, in the adult stage. So after the tick acquires the disease, it can transmit it. It has two opportunities to transmit it um, before it dies. So understanding this life cycle of the ticks is really um, provides good information about why people need to be extra diligent in July and August around Thunder Bay, right? That's right. Um, you see, and again, it's, it's very interesting where people think uh, the adult stage is present um, through to the end of June, and they're active, they're laying their eggs. And then the larval stage that comes from the egg is busy acquiring the disease, but there are nymphal stages that are out there. They survive through the summer as well. They're looking for hosts. And it's the nymphal stage that is it's still really small and I think it's probably responsible for probably 70 to 80% of the transmission of the disease. People in Thunder Bay think, oh, the ticks have gone away. You know, it's, it's July, August. Um, they don't, the adult uh, black-legged tick doesn't really reappear here until late September. And then it'll be uh, present in the forest through September, October, November. But even then, uh, people who are active in the woods don't really think of it as being a uh, a problem during the late summer. And the reason for that is because the wood tick is super abundant. It's usually 10 times uh, more numerous than the, uh, the black-legged ticks. And they are, uh, they just have one period of abundance. And so by the beginning of July, it looks like there are no ticks present in the forest anymore. Whereas in actual fact, there are young ticks out there and they're still capable of transmitting the disease. I wanted to give a big shout out to the Thunder Bay Health Unit. I had a look at their website and I was just so impressed with all the information that was there. Have, have you been working with them as an advisor? Yes, yes, I have. Um, and actually, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. I'm another one of these, um, what should I call it? A an advocate for um, public participation and information informing the public. Um, I became a, uh, a, a radical um, tick enthusiast, I suppose, <laughs> after uh, my spouse um, had Lyme disease. 
And when she had Lyme disease, was, this was about 10 years ago, um, there was very little acceptance within the, uh, the medical community that, that we even had black-legged ticks in Thunder Bay. Um, and so the diagnosis was uh, really hard to obtain. Um, but fortunately, uh, our family doctor um, decided that, okay, we, we begged hard enough and he sent away the blood test and the blood test came back um, positive. But the what I've told people is you're really lucky if you get one of the bullseye rashes or one of the other really uh, radical indicators of Lyme disease. And in my case, my spouse um, developed Bell's palsy, where one side of her face was paralyzed, and you know um, she had to tape her eyes shut at night yeah. and various other horrible things. So scary. Um, and um, because of that, when the test came back positive, we actually had a medical doctor call us personally to tell her that she had Lyme disease. And then after that, uh, it was still probably within three months of her acquiring it, three to four months maximum. And so she was able to take antibiotics and it still took... Um, there was still neurological damage from that brief period of time. Um, and now 10 years later, she's pretty well 99.9% recovered. Oh, but that's it, great. <laughs> it, it takes a long time. And the people who are uh, misdiagnosed, um, who wait for a year or two years before they finally receive treatment, I really feel very sorry for them because then the damage is pretty significant and it's very long lasting. How did she finally get diagnosed? The very first person who even mentioned that it could possibly be Lyme disease was our um, um, our optometrist. Oh, wow, cool. Knew that it was one of the symptoms and said, if you, you know, have you ruled out Lyme? You know, when my spouse was uh, first uh, became aware of Lyme disease, she had one of the symptoms uh, in the early stages uh, is um, an ice pick headache. And we were out canoeing and camping when she uh, had this the first time and we cut the trip short. It was just that awful. Like an ice pick headache means that you go down on your knees and you're in pain. So we went back and we, she went to an emergency and uh, they treated her in emergency as if, first of all, as if maybe she was a drug addict. And then um, the second time she went back to emergency, they treated her as if she had a mental illness. And uh, and it just, that's what set the fire for me. And I really had to get the information out there that Lyme disease was present and that it's a very difficult disease to diagnose. But you should, it should be in their toolbox. They should be aware of the fact that it's here. I really do want to give big kudos to the Thunder Bay Health Unit because they really have taken a proactive and a preventative approach. And, you know, like you say, advocating for that public participation is so important. Um, we'll make sure we post the uh, links to their website in our show notes so people can go there for more information and hopefully other health units or municipalities that might be looking for a good example of how to educate their population can use that as as a template. That's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I'll pass that on to the, uh, the manager of environmental health. He'll Great. Be, uh, 
he'll be pretty pleased. He's kind of busy now with the COVID <laughs> thing. I'm sure. Do you know if ticks have migrated further north of Thunder Bay? Um, we've had ticks from as uh, far north as Makina, which is oh, uh, probably, probably a couple of hundred kilometers north from here. So, but you know, only uh, occasionally, I, I believe that what we're getting is the uh, the random uh, transport through migratory birds. But as soon as the winters are warm enough, they'll establish. And and the uh, I've seen one prediction where they expect that by 2080, um, black-legged ticks will probably be all the way up to James Bay. Wow. How educated are locals about ticks in your area? Oh, that's a difficult question. Um, we still have, it's the, the complete spectrum, right? From uh, if you never go in the woods, then you've never been, um, you've never seen a tick. Um, and so there are some people who would say that there are no ticks in Thunder Bay and what's all the fuss about. And then there are those who, who um, especially say in the hiking club or individuals who are active outdoors, who know that they, uh, certainly the wood tick is there in abundance. Um, but even then it's you know, this information that the black legged tick is a um, present and a problem throughout the entire year. I don't think that message is really getting out there loud and clear. And what would you consider a success for the Thunder Bay Health Unit in getting that information out there? Um, that after we monitored the public for their knowledge about black-legged ticks, they would all tell us that, um, yeah, they're present and we have to be aware of them throughout the entire year, that we have to do tick checks if we're ever um, in an area where there are likely to be ticks. Um, and I think that the, uh, I guess the critical information is that we have a problem and we have to uh, take personal responsibility for it. Thank you so much for your time today and joining us on the podcast, Dr. Deacon. Did you have any other closing comments? Well, thank you as well. I'd like to say one more thing about Black Olympics, and they are capable of being active down to four degrees C. So you can actually acquire a black-legged tick in the wintertime. If, if the weather is warm enough, they will um, they'll still be active. Um, so even though a lot of people think that uh, during the period of snow, you're safe, you're still not even safe in the wintertime if it's a mild day. So eternal vigilance. Eternal vigilance, what a great reminder. That was Dr. Ken Deacon, an entomologist from Thunder Bay. I was so delighted to learn that the Thunder Bay Health Unit has taken such strong initiative to educate their community about Lyme and tick-borne illnesses, and they continue to monitor their tick populations and the pathogens that they carry. Looking at Lyme is a podcast of the Canadian Lyme Disease Foundation, and I'm your host, Sarah Cormode. Have fun in the wilderness as spring returns across Canada and stay safe in the outdoors. Mm-hmm.